Today we talk about one of the biggest enigmas in infertility, endometriosis. I'm Dr. Mark Amos, and this is Taco About Fertility Tuesday. Endometriosis. What is it? How do you develop it? Before I can explain that, let's first talk about anatomy. There are four main components to the female anatomy. The vagina, which is the track to the uterus. The uterus, which is where a pregnancy will implant. The fallopian tubes, which allows the ovary to release an egg that goes down the fallopian tube that gets into the uterus. Now, we're going to focus on the uterus and specifically talk about endometrial cells. Every month when a woman has her menses, what's happening is the lining of the uterus is building up. The purpose of this buildup is to implant with an embryo. However, unfortunately, sometimes you do not get pregnant. And what will happen is the body then will drop its hormones, specifically progesterone, and you will have a menstrual cycle. What you are passing is the endometrial cells, the cells that line the uterus. These cells are extremely important in endometriosis because these are the cells of endometriosis. Endometriosis is when these endometrial cells from the endometrium of the uterus grow in regions are not supposed to. So in the uterus, we call them endometrial cells. But when we find them in other locations, such as on the ovary, around the pelvis, between the vagina and the rectum, and in other areas, we then call it endometriosis. Now these cells, when in the uterus, respond to estrogen and they thicken up. So they get ready for implantation of an embryo. And when you don't get pregnant, they would normally bleed and you have a menses. So when this tissue is elsewhere in an ectopic location, they also are going to respond to estrogen and they also will bleed when the hormones drop. As you can imagine, that's going to be very problematic if you have endometrial tissue between the vagina and the rectum, or if you have it in your pelvis or in your lungs. And so this bleeding and this growing creates part of the problem. So then the real next question is, how do they escape? There are essentially three ways we think the endometrial cells escape the uterus. The most common is what we call the retrograde menstruation. What this means is that when a woman menstruates, most of the blood will come out vaginally, but some of it will go down the fallopian tube and spill into the pelvis. The second main theory is that endometrial cells spread through the blood and that way they can go into other organs far from the reproductive field. The last method that we think endometriosis spreads is through metaplasia. This is a phenomenon where cells in other locations change into endometrial cells. Essentially, think of this as Normal cells can change into cancerous cells. These cells, instead of turning into cancer, are now turning into endometrial cells. 
Now, first, it sounds kind of weird, but this actually happens all the time. It's important for our cells to be able to change because sometimes our cells are exposed to different environments. So, for example, in the cervix inside the vagina, the cells have to be multiple layers to protect it from the environment. But the cells inside the cervix are only a single layer thick. However, when a woman gets pregnant or after having a baby, the cervix turns inside out. And some of those cells are on the outside the cervix now versus on the inside the cervix. And those cells have to undergo that metaplastic change to become multiple layers or otherwise she would bleed all the time. At this zone, this is where things like cancer can develop. Well, this can also happen in other parts of the body and it can switch over to endometrial cells, which then would create endometriosis. In reality, retrograde menstruation is the most likely cause of most endometriosis. But here's the interesting thing. If all women have retrograde menstruation, why don't all women have endometriosis? Matter of fact, only 10% of reproductive age women have endometriosis. Now, it's important to understand that these women were asymptomatic. That means they weren't having any symptoms. But the question still stands. Why did these women who all have retrograde menstruation not have endometriosis? And the simple answer is, it appears to be multifactorial. That not only do you have to have retrograde menstruation, but you have to have the body react to that retrograde menstruation. For example, a normal female would have retrograde menstruation into the pelvis. And the pelvis is going to look at that and go, hey, how are you doing? And the menstruation is going to say, uh, I'm doing well, just uh, here for the week. And then the body's going to say, yeah, okay, well, I recognize you. You're good. You know, just uh, don't cause any trouble. And that menstrual blood is just going to get reabsorbed and nothing's going to happen. And that's because the body recognizes that this is tissue from you. However, someone who has endometriosis, it's a little bit of a different story. Now when they have retrograde menstruation, their body looks at that and goes, excuse me, excuse me, um, who are you? I've never seen anyone who looks like you around here. And the menstrual blood is going to do its best to say, no, 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 I'm normal. I'm you. I'm, I'm definitely you. I know it's hard to tell. I am definitely you. But the problem is the body doesn't recognize it. So the body calls in the body's military. And an all-out war occurs in your pelvis. This war creates major inflammatory changes that then leads to things like scarring. When studied, inflammatory markers are raised in people who have endometriosis. Nerve fibers increase in density in these locations where we have endometriotic implants. The scar tissue leads to anatomic distortion of the pelvis that can sometimes cause a tube to be blocked or a tube to be moved away from the ovary, making it harder to pick up an egg. The inflammatory factors, such as prostanoids, cytokines, growth factors, create a hostile environment that prevent things like fertilization and implantation. 
but that's just the fertile portions. Endometriosis wreaks havoc in other ways by causing severe pelvic pain. When in the lung or other tissues, it can bleed into those tissues, creating inflammation and other problems. So the big question is, who's at risk for this? Well, obviously, women are going to be the main source of this. And not just all women, but reproductive age women. Because if you're not having the menses, it's pretty hard to have endometrial tissue. Now, we assume approximately 10% of women in the reproductive age group globally have endometriosis. But this is very challenging to actually know because many women are asymptomatic, meaning they don't have any pain. As I mentioned earlier, if they do have symptoms such as pain or infertility, there is a higher risk of them having endometriosis. There have been many studies in asymptomatic women, and it can range between 1% all the way to 15% diagnosed with endometriosis. If you have infertility, you have approximately 50% chance of having endometriosis. If you have pelvic pain, you have approximately a 70% chance of having endometriosis. And if you have both severe painful periods and pelvic pain, as well as infertility, your chances are over 70% that you do have endometriosis. So as you can see, the more symptoms you have of endometriosis, the more likely you have endometriosis. So the next obvious question then is, what are the symptoms of endometriosis? One of the most common symptoms is dysmenorrhea. That means painful periods. Now all women are going to have pain with their periods, but what we're talking about is severe pain. This is pain that's going to keep you home from work. Additionally, this isn't for just one day, but maybe the entire time of your period causing excruciating pain. The second issue is dyspareunia. That's just a fancy word that means pain with intercourse. Now, it's important to understand that all women have some pain with intercourse at times because when having intercourse, you can hit organs inside of the abdomen, such as the ovary, and that can cause pain. So if it's positional pain, that is not the dyspareunia I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is constantly uncomfortable intercourse due to a sharp stabbing pain that you have with intercourse. One of the other symptoms is pelvic pain. And I don't mean just during your period, but sometimes even throughout your cycle, you can have pain in your pelvis. And usually that's a sharp, achy pain. The other symptoms are things like infertility and if you have a mass on your ovary that could be a thing called an endometrioma, which is basically a giant ball of endometriosis in the ovary. Other less common symptoms are going to be bowel or bladder issues, abnormal uterine bleeding, low back pain, chronic fatigue. These are less common, but they do occur. These can all occur as a combination. You can have some of these symptoms alone. But the main thing is the more symptoms you have of endometriosis, the more likelihood you have endometriosis. So now that you know the symptoms and you start to suspect maybe I have endometriosis, the question is, how do I find out if I have endometriosis? Well, first step would be to see a specialist. This is going to be someone like a gynecological oncologist, a gynecologist, 
a reproductive doctor, but someone who specializes in women's health and understands endometriosis. I would not see a general surgeon. I would not recommend seeing your family doctor for this. The next point is, is that endometriosis, although we might suspect it 100%, is a diagnosis by histological evaluation. What that means is we have to get the tissue and look under a microscope to define it as endometriosis because if we find those glands, endometrial glands, in the wrong location, that is the definition of endometriosis. And so most people, to be diagnosed with endometriosis, undergo a surgery. Typically, this is a laparoscopy. And in that laparoscopy, you would look through the pelvis looking for endometriosis. And if you see it, normally the surgeon would remove that lesion and that lesion would be sent off to a pathologist where they can then test it and find out if it's endometriosis. Now, does that mean you have to have a surgery to diagnose endometriosis? Technically, no. If the doctor believes you have it, you can say you have endometriosis, just technically has never been proven. There are some doctors who do laparoscopies, see the endometriosis and don't do anything with it and just say they saw it and tell you have endometriosis. In the end, it really doesn't matter if you have histological evidence because there's no badge you get or get to go into a club called the endometriosis club. So in the end, if you have symptoms of endometriosis, it's okay if someone starts treating you because they're treating your symptoms and you should feel better. If you are having lots of pain and you're not getting treated by the medicines they're giving you, then I would say go to surgery. And then sometimes we can remove those implants, which we'll go into a little bit further. But the classic definition of diagnosing endometriosis is by seeing it or removing it and having it tested by a pathologist. So is surgery the only way to diagnose? The simple answer is no. There are ways you can diagnose endometriosis, but the people who do it have to be very specialized and have the skills to diagnose endometriosis without surgery. For example, if you are good at ultrasound, people who have been doing this for years can tell an endometrioma from a normal cyst, such as a corpus luteum. I routinely tell women that I see an endometrioma on that they have endometriosis, but I technically can't prove it without a biopsy, but I feel very comfortable that they have it. Even a simple examination can confirm endometriosis by feeling nodules near the uterosacral ligaments on the pelvic exam, and that can help diagnose endometriosis. Other ways are inspecting the vaginal fornix in the posterior region of the vagina and taking a biopsy. And sometimes you can get positive rectovaginal lesions from this biopsy. Even looking with a cystoscopy, which is putting a camera into the bladder, can diagnose endometriosis. The point is, there are many ways to diagnose it. Some are surgical, some are not. But histological diagnosis is the gold standard. So how does endometriosis impact fertility? So earlier in this discussion, we talked about a few factors. The first one was distorting the anatomy of the pelvis. When you have endometriosis in the pelvis, the body doesn't recognize the tissue and starts attacking it. And when it attacks it, it creates scarring. 
Now that scarring can have a direct effect where it's actually blocking the fallopian tube. And then that way your eggs cannot be picked up by the fallopian tube for you to get pregnant. The other thing is it can distort the anatomy. It can pull the tube into the wrong direction. So it's no longer sitting on top of the ovary. Now the ovary can't give a take to the fallopian tube to be picked up. Additionally, scarring can create pockets that put the fallopian tube in its own pocket away from the ovary, not allowing the two to communicate. So anatomical changes can be a big cause of infertility. The second major thing that happens is that there's these inflammatory factors that create a all-out war going on in the pelvis, and that is toxic to the embryos. Matter of fact, when you do IVF, you would think that endometriosis wouldn't be an issue because you're bypassing everything. But because of that inflammatory environment in the pelvis, we find fertility rates go down, even with endometriosis, even with IVF, because of the endometriosis. There are other ways that endometriosis impacts your fertility. It can affect your egg count. When comparing women who have endometriosis and who do not have endometriosis, we find that the antral follicle count, which is the number of follicles on your ovary, is higher in women without endometriosis. And the same thing we notice with AMH, anti-malarian hormone. It's lower in women with ovarian endometriosis and normal in people without endometriosis, which means the endometriosis is affecting your ovarian reserve. This is extremely significant if you're more mature because you're already reducing your egg quality by your age. This reveals there's some type of toxic environment to the ovaries that actually makes it poor quality because of the endometriosis. But it goes further than that. When you look at the fertilization rate, which is the rate of sperm fertilizing the eggs, you would think, why would that affect it? But it does. Because remember, in the environment of the tube, there can be this inflammation. And so we find the fertilization rates are even lower when you have endometriosis. Even the embryos implanting in the uterus go down when you have endometriosis. Like I said earlier, when you do IVF and you have endometriosis, your chances are technically lower. So if I cloned you and I made a twin and one had endometriosis and the other did not, the one without endometriosis would have a much better pregnancy rate. Now, when I say much, please keep in mind, we're not talking 50%, but a very significant amount in the 10 to 20% range. And so what you're probably thinking is, yeah, this makes sense. If they have endometriosis, they have this war going on in their pelvis. So yes, all these things are going down. It, it probably is just their body, but that's not the story. If you look at donor eggs, and if you take eggs from a donor who has endometriosis, the implantation rate will be lower than someone who has donors who do not have endometriosis. This means the endometriosis is with the egg. Now, there's no question that the person who has endometriosis has an environment that's going to reduce their chances. Matter of fact, even when you take donor embryos, these are not eggs from her body, embryos already made, implanted into the woman with endometriosis, you will have a lower implantation rate than someone who doesn't have endometriosis. 
So what this means is it affects all areas. It causes the eggs to be poor. It causes the fallopian tubes not work as well. Some studies have shown there's increased ectopic pregnancies in women with endometriosis. It also then causes the environment in the uterus to be poor, where there's lower implantation rates. And even when you look at sperm, sperm that is exposed to fluid from women with endometriosis end up killing the sperm more than if you just exposed it to fluid from a healthy patient. So it shows you that even the pelvic fluid is inflamed. And so the entire environment is like a war zone. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you have endometriosis, you're thinking, I'm screwed. But you're not. And that's because just because you have endometriosis doesn't mean you're going to have these problems. I have seen women who have no problem with infertility, who have some of the worst endometriosis I've ever seen. And I've had other women who struggle to get pregnant and they have a spot of endometriosis on their uterus. So the point here is you cannot look at how much endometriosis you have to determine if you're going to have problems. It's variable. And so sometimes people with very little endometriosis have major problems and people who have tons of endometriosis have no problems at all. Now, before we get into discussing the treatments for endometriosis, I want to take a moment to talk about the surgical treatment because there's a thing called surgical staging in endometriosis. And I think this sometimes is confusing. See, surgical staging isn't really to tell a patient how severe their endometriosis is. It's actually there to help a surgeon know what they're getting into. So for example, if I overshoot and say that a person has stage four endometriosis, which is the most severe stage, then that doctor is going to go into that surgery assuming it's going to be very difficult and is going to do things to protect the patient to help reduce risk. However, if I understage it and say that it's only stage two, and they go into it thinking it's going to be mild and it's more complex, they could, one, run into problems such as hitting the bowel and creating a bowel issue. They could puncture other organs because they weren't prepared. And so staging is so doctors can basically talk to each other to let them know how difficult the surgery was. Now, there's a little bit of truth that stages that are more advanced, like three and four, may have slightly increases and decreases in certain symptoms. So for example, stage three and four are probably going to have a little bit more pelvic pain and dyspareunia. That's the painful intercourse associated with them. Stages one and two are probably going to have a little bit better fertility. However, that is not a rule. And a lot of people assume because they have stage four, they're going to need IVF. And that isn't always true. Now, there are two areas to treat with endometriosis. There are the clinical symptoms, which are going to be the pain, the painful periods, pain with intercourse, and then there's going to be the fertility portion of treatment. Now, when we talk about the clinical portion, when you're not trying to get pregnant, the first line therapy is going to be things like ibuprofen and birth control. 
Now, ibuprofen works by reducing prostaglandins that can cause problems. And birth control works by not having much of a period because you're building up the lining minimal so you'll have less retrograde menstruation. But even more important, the birth control is going to keep the endometriosis at bay. You can actually take birth control continuously and actually not get a period, but maybe once a year or once every four months. So then your pain is only coming once in a while. Now that doesn't always work. And so people go on to other therapies. The next therapy is going to be something like Lupron. Lupron is a drug that puts you into a menopausal state. And so if you're not having a menses anymore and you're shutting down all of your hormones, all of the endometriotic deposits in your body will also be shut down and that will give you relief from pain. The problem is it also puts you into menopause. And so you're having hot flashes, you're miserable. So most people don't use Lupron or if they do, they add a thing called add back therapy where they add a little hormone back so you don't go crazy. Now I won't go into in depth on this next part, but there are new medications now that work similar to Lupron, but don't have the side effects of Lupron. People have even tried Mirena IUDs or other IUDs that have progesterone in them, and that has found help. But we're going to focus mostly on treatment of fertility. So we'll start with the first one, which was surgery. Does surgery help with fertility? And the simple answer is yes. It's probably going to help most of the time, but when you're talking about stage one and two, it's not going to be as effective because if there's just two spots of endometriosis, unless you're one of those rare people that had a major inflammatory response to it, it's not going to help you to remove it. However, if you have stage three or four, like you have an endometrioma that has to be removed even before IVF, surgery will be an effective treatment. So I always tell people the way I think of it is this. If you have mild endometriosis that's suspected and you don't have any pain, it's probably not worth going to surgery. However, if you have endometriosis suspected and you have pain and you can't enjoy things like intercourse or you have severe painful periods, then surgery is worth it because even if it's ineffective for fertility, at least now you're treating your pain and you'll have a better quality of life. When we see an endometrioma, Surgery is almost always needed because now that can be interfering with IVF because we have to go through the endometrioma to get to the ovary. Now, that rule isn't always 100%. For example, if you're 25, 28 years old and you're going to go IVF and have a large endometrioma, I'm going to remove it because that endometrioma is not only going to make it hard to get the eggs, but it's going to create an inflammatory environment that's going to reduce your chances. However, if you're 40 and you already have a decreased ovarian reserve, if I do surgery, I'm absolutely going to hurt that ovarian reserve. And that's going to reduce your chances of IVF working. This is because the eggs on the ovary are not inside the ovary. They're on the outside of the ovary. So when you do surgery to remove an endometrioma, which is a cyst inside of the ovary, you have to cut the ovary, which will damage those cells and lower your ovarian reserve. So I don't recommend doing surgery for women who are more mature unless it's a last resort option or if the patient's having severe lifestyle issues due to the endometriosis. The great thing about IVF as a treatment is it bypasses everything. 
And so it's actually a very effective treatment. And as I discussed earlier, many people that I suspect have endometriosis, I'll just go straight to IVF because I don't think surgery is necessary. And so IVF is a very effective treatment for endometriosis, whereas IUIs, intrauterine insemination, are not as effective. That doesn't mean you can't do it, but then I would recommend being more aggressive, making more than just one or two eggs because you remember, you have a war zone going on in your pelvis. So you need to make more eggs. So hopefully, one of them that are not affected by the endometriosis can be fertilized and you can become pregnant. So what time of pregnancy rates are we talking about here? Well, if we look at the mild stages, stage one and two, what we find is, is that if you already have infertility, your chances are probably going to be less than 5% when trying on your own over the next year. Now, if you go to IUIs with endometriosis and you have stage one or two, you should get around a 10 to 12% success rate every month. Whereas if you had stage three or four, your success rate is probably going to be 10% or less after three months of treatment. Now, because IVF bypasses everything, you really don't see a big difference in fertility rates between stage one and two and stage three and four. However, there is some difference and that could be up to five or 10%. The biggest difference in fertility rates is with surgery. If you have a mild stage one or two, you may not see as big of a benefit because you're not really doing much. With stage three or four, you're going to see a slightly bigger benefit because you're doing more, because you have more endometriosis, creating more problems, and you're removing more of the problem. Now, one issue that comes up with surgical treatment of endometriosis is whether to remove the tissue, such as lesions, or to burn the tissue. Most studies show there really isn't a difference. I personally like to remove the tissue. That way I get a better idea of how deep it is and get that histological diagnosis. But it's not unreasonable to also burn the tissue. There are times when I cannot remove the tissue due to its location and I do burn it. The same thing comes with removing an endometrioma. Some physicians will just drain it. Now, I am not a fan of this because if you just drain a cyst, the recurrence rate is over 50%. Most are going to come back. So I like to remove the cyst to make sure it doesn't come back. Now, it's not foolproof, but most of the time, it's going to stay away. The downside of removing it is you're going to hurt some tissue, whereas by draining it, you're probably not going to hurt the tissue, but it could be back the next month. In summary, we talked about what endometriosis is. It's when endometrial tissue from the uterus is found outside the uterus in an ectopic location. We talked about ways it can be developed and the most common ways through retrograde menstruation. We also talked about ways it impacts infertility, where it can be both anatomically distorting, but it can also cause inflammation and create a war zone going on in the pelvis. We then talked about how do you diagnose it and that you don't always have to have surgery. You can just treat it because you think you have it and help your pain. But if you want to diagnose it, the gold standard is going to be surgery and getting a histological diagnosis. You can also diagnose it other ways, but the gold standard is through histological diagnosis. Last, we talked about how to treat endometriosis. 
and we talked about surgery and the pros and cons, as well as what staging means. Hopefully by now, you have a better understanding of endometriosis. And if you do suspect you have it, you know what you need to do next to find out. Additionally, you do not have to worry about not getting pregnant because now you know you most likely still will. You just know you need to be a little more vigilant and start earlier. So if you have severe pelvic pain, if you have painful periods or pain with intercourse, you might have endometriosis and should look into this further because this could be affecting your fertility now or maybe in the future. In future episodes, we'll get into more of the medical treatment of endometriosis. We'll also talk about specific protocols in IVF to help with endometriosis and testing that can find out if endometriosis is infecting implantation. For now, I hope I just gave you a general idea of endometriosis so we can build on that in the future. As I always mention every week, thank you for listening. I appreciate all the reviews that get us more known and make this possible. I look forward to our future talks and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Taco Bell Fertility Tuesdays.